covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. Another week's worth of Brewers conversation and a lot of conversation to get into after uh, quite the series for the Brewers where they take two of three from the Cubs. It remains a three-team race in the NL Central. And what do you know? We are coming up on the trade deadline on July 31st, which is going to be on Wednesday. A lot going on right now with the Brewers, and we'll touch on all that during the course of the podcast today. A few housekeeping items to take care of here at the top of the program. First off, if you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Second thing, a special hello and welcome to our listeners on 540 ESPN. This podcast is played uh, on the radio, which, you know, podcasts are generally on demand, but we play some of our podcasts during the Pod Center, which is put together by Doug Russell on 540 ESPN on uh, Monday afternoon. So if you are listening to us uh, right now on 540, hello, hope you enjoy. You can always find this podcast at Apple Podcast, at Stitcher, at WTMJ.com. If you do listen via Apple Podcast and can subscribe, that would be great. In addition to this podcast, some other things are going to uh, pop up every once in a while into your podcast feed. And if you can leave a ranking and review for the podcast, that would be much appreciated as well. Here's what's coming up this week. We are going to be joined by Tim Muma from Brew Crew Ball, and uh, we'll just talk general state of the Brewers. A lot of things to get into right there. And then later on, this is going to be fun for me. I'm really looking forward to this. Rob Namnoom is going to join us. Now, if you don't know Rob, that name is not familiar. He is a first-time guest on the podcast, Rob Namnoom. Uh, he is a television sportscaster in Colorado Springs who I've known for many, many, many years from my time working in Colorado Springs. However, this year Rob has picked up uh, radio duties for the Rocky Mountain Vibes, which is the Brewers' uh, short-season team uh, there in Colorado Springs. They're the team that uh, replaced the Helena Brewers, uh, and uh, we are going to be joined by Rob coming up later on in the podcast. What a week. What a week for the Brewers. Uh, <laughs> right now, there's two pitchers, and I'm, I am recording this at 10.14 p.m. on Sunday, January, July 28th. I almost said January. All you got to do is walk outside to know it's not January. The Brewers have two starting pitchers that are fully healthy and on the roster right now. They have Chase Anderson and they have Zach Davies. Zach Davies has struggled in his last two outings, including on Sunday, where he gave up seven runs in five innings, gave up seven runs in four innings his previous start. So in his last two starts, his last nine outings, he's given up 14 runs. I think one of those runs against Cincinnati wasn't earned, so 13 earned runs, 14 runs overall. So he he's kind of... He's got a little bit of a lull. He's having a great season, not trying to take anything away from him. He has done a really nice job this year, but he's had a little bit of a rough patch, and he's going to try to pitch his way out of it. So right now, quite honestly, it, the guy that you trust the most in the rotation is Chase Anderson. And the reason I kind of chuckled when I said that was because Anderson's the guy who wasn't even in the rotation when the season got started. It seems forever ago. 
But when the season got started, they took their five guys out of camp, didn't have space in the rotation for Anderson, and he was in the bullpen, had mixed results out of the bullpen, and eventually moved into the rotation, and there's no sign of him coming out moving forward. It's It almost reminds me, if you remember a couple years ago, the year that Jimmy Nelson got injured, after Nelson got injured, what the Brewers were doing from a pitching standpoint that year was it was very creative, it was very outside the box, they were throwing some guys out there that now you can look back and go, how did how'd they win that game? How'd they stay in it? And the Brewers missed the playoffs by one year that year. Hopefully that's the one thing that is very different, that they don't miss it uh, by one year. But they're kind of in a situation right now. They, I think deep down they kind of have an idea um, who is going to start some games coming up in Oakland, but they haven't announced anything officially. And there's Adrian Hauser at some point is going to get a start. That's kind of all that we know at this point. And, you know, maybe Gio Gonzalez gets healthy, but, you know, just to be careful with him and get him an opportunity to pitch against the Cubs, maybe they push him back a week, or not a week, but a series, and they get back to the weekend with, uh, with Gio Gonzalez. Maybe they do that. I mean, there's so many things that are possible. Uh, Craig Council even said in his post-game press conference on Sunday after the uh, lone loss to the Cubs, we're kind of waiting to see what happens. And he was alluding to with the trade deadline coming up. Could they potentially make a move? Now, the trade deadline is on Wednesday, but some moves already started happening. Sunday was a somewhat busy day in terms of moves, so it seems like uh, the market is starting to pick up. In fact, there's a pretty good chance you are listening to this podcast and the Brewers have already made a move, and some of this uh, content that uh, we're bringing your way is not even relevant anymore because of some potential moves that the Brewers made. But as I record this on Sunday night, no moves made yet by the Brewers. It's it's really interesting, and I give Council a lot of credit for being calm and almost kind of joking about it when you know he'll say things like, well, I know we're going to start somebody. I guarantee you that uh, there's going to be somebody who starts that game. We're going to pitch somebody. Th- those kind of things, he's remaining calm. And, I, you know, they've probably got a little bit more of a plan and an idea of what it's going to look like than they're letting on. Uh, but they're going to let Gonzalez throw a little bit on Tuesday and see how he's feeling and, and go from there. But it's a it, – with – with Brandon Woodruff on the injured list with an oblique, with Yolish Chassin on the injured list with an oblique, and with Gonzalez having some uh, weakness and uh, that's going or some tightness, I should say, and that's going to uh, slow him down potentially from making his next start. It really is an an interesting, interesting, interesting position to be right now from a uh, from a pitching standpoint. I do think you have to mention. I, I've always I'm not saying anything new. You know, there's some people out there that after the Brewers took two out of three from the Cubs, now they're saying bye. I've been saying bye all along. I don't know. The, it's going to be expensive to get guys. It is. It's this is a uh, this is a seller's market. It's not a buyer's market, as there's so many teams that are still involved in this, and there's more uh, there's more demand than supply. I, I don't. So I don't know what level of move the Brewers are going to be able to make just because their farm system, Baseball America, the uh, they, there was a tweet that was sent out. I think Tom Hodricourt retweeted it uh, where it just kind of reminded people of what the Baseball America prospect rankings are, and the Brewers are dead last. That doesn't mean there's not good prospects in the organization and the system. It just, That's more of a depth sort of deal. From a, from a depth standpoint, the Brewers minor league system is not good right now. There are some really good individuals 
There are some guys that could turn into something, but as it sits right now, when you look at the farm system, it's not what it was. You know, really, it started to go downhill when they made the Christian Yelich trade. They gave up a lot for Christian Yelich, and they made a lot of moves last year, both July 31st and August 31st, and it's just been attrition of the level of uh, prospect and the number of prospects in the farm system dropping a bit. It's going to bounce back, you would think. that uh, There's good people in charge of uh, bringing guys in, but right now where it's at, there's just a little bit less talent than normal, and that's going to create a challenge as well because you do want to win this year. And I promise you, David Stearns, Mark Antanasio, the entire Brewers organization, they want to win this year, but they also want to be smart in that they don't mortgage much aspect of the future. Uh, if you remember, there was a conversation a couple off-seasons ago where they kind of shifted their focus from getting out of the rebuild and into trying to win. That was that uh, off-season leading into when they acquired both Yelich and Kane. And Mark Atanasi, I remember talking about this, how the decision was made that year that the moves that they were going to be making were going to be to help the team win that next year, but also to help the team win years down the line. They're always going to have an eye on the future. The idea is to create a sustainable winner. And sometimes that creates some really tough decisions, and sometimes that creates saying no when maybe you want to say yes just because of what you want to be able to do moving forward. So it's it's going to be a wild week. It is going to be a wild week to see what happens with the Brewers as they get set for the trade deadline. And the things that have happened with this club, especially in terms of pitching, I think is just added to that. One last thing here in my open before we uh, get to everything else. Keston Hira, just incredible. It's just so much fun to watch right now. He's a rookie. There's going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be a roller coastery aspect to it at times because there just can't be. What he's doing right now, you would not think that he's going to keep up doing throughout the entire course of his career. But as he does it now, and you know the, the game against the Cubs there uh, on, on Saturday when he hit the walk-off home run, just really cool, fun, special stuff. So uh, that's good. Just wanted to comment on that, and we'll get into more of that uh, coming up later on in the program. Again, our guest this week, we are going to be joined by Tim Muma in just a moment. Uh, Rob Namnoon, who is the uh, voice of the Rocky Mountain Vibes, He's going to join us coming up in just a few moments as well. This is Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for a social media conversation. Now, let me start this conversation by saying... We are recording at 9.03 p.m. on Sunday, July 28th. The way trades have been going on around Major League Baseball, keep that in mind because Lord knows we're going to get done with this uh, conversation and something's going to pop up on Twitter that the Brewers have made a move. Probably not, but you never know. So I just want to start the conversation with a bit of a timestamp so you know where we are coming from with the uh, content and the information available at the time. We bring in Tim Muma. You can read him uh, over at uh, Brew Crew Ball, one of our favorite Brew Crew Ball folks. And he joins us right now. Hey, Tim, how are you doing? Doing great, man. How are you today? I am good. So let's start with this. It's the uh, 
It's the question that every Brewers fan has been answering and asking others and changing their opinion on on every game basis. Buyers slash sellers, what should the Brewers be? Uh, I've always been firmly in the buyer side for them uh, for a couple reasons. One, regardless of the struggles and, and frustrations at times, and understandably by fans and, and probably a team themselves, they're still right in the thick of things. We know how the last two months of last season went, and yeah, it was a different year, but um, you know, it's a long season. You go through bad stretches. You know, you've always heard everyone wins 60 games, everyone loses 60 games. So they have the talent. They have pieces there. Uh, the concern, obviously, has been the starting pitching as far as having any at this point. And um, that's that's another reason to actually go out and get a guy, at least one, because uh, you just don't have enough to really fill from within the org, at least guys that you're going to trust. And the other side of it is, I mean, if you're a seller, who are you who are you really trading to get value? It's really hard to get value for a catcher midseason because of everything that goes into being a, a part of a pitching staff, essentially, that's what the catcher is. He's part of the pitching staff. And uh, and plus, obviously, Grandal would, in all cases, really be a, a rental. And with Moustakis, same thing. I mean, he hasn't had that much interest on the, the free agent market. He would be a rental again. And what are you really going to get back from contending teams? So, the way I look at it, you, you, let, you let the, you know, let it fall where it may, but you go out and get a piece or two that you think is going to help you. And most likely, it's got to be on the pitching end probably a ideally a high leverage guy in the bullpen and then at this point just any mid to back end guys starting pitching wise because I think council is going to continue to ride the bullpen if you have guys back there that you trust and can do the job on a daily basis. The Moose and Grandall thing really interests me and I don't think they should trade either one of them and I don't think they're going to trade either one of them but I've got this take they're both having really good years. They're both having all-star years. They're both playing better than they were projected to play this year. But they're not playing better than they were projected by, you know, a ton. I mean, they're just, they're a little bit better than they were projected. It's not this huge difference from who they've been and who they are now. And here are two guys that could not get a multi-year offer on the free right. agency market. So we're talking about two guys who are just a little bit better than what people thought they were, and now all of a sudden they go in the course of five months from somebody who can't get a multi-year deal that they like to somebody who's going to bring you back a haul of prospects. It just it doesn't add up. Yeah, that's exactly right, and that that is a piece of kind of the whole picture when it comes to dealing them. And you know, people can argue it's just it's the way the the market was sort of stamped down by whether people want to claim collusion or just the idea of looking at analytics and making sure that you're not offering guys these multi-year deals because you know they're going to fall off the table. And there can be different reasons for it, but to your point, um, both have been extremely hot at times and looked like amazing at what they were doing, but as the baseball season does 99 times out of 100, everything sort of calms down, you get into the ebb and flow of the season, and uh, to your point, their numbers get closer to what you expected. Now, Again, you have two months left in the season. One or both of them could get hot. One or both of them could be cold. Again, that's the that's the big unknown when you're trying to decide if you're a buyer or a seller, and um, really from any team's perspective. Um, so I think that that's another layer to all of this as far as what value are you really going to get from them if you're going to try to deal them as pieces. Because unless you're talking Josh Hader or Christian Yelich, I mean, yeah, those guys obviously would bring an enormous amount of value but now you're kind of playing with uh, a little bit more fire, if you will. I mean, 
if someone's really give up a lot for Josh Hader, you probably consider it. Christian Yelich, I would think, by all means, is is uh, off the table because I think a lot of Brewers fans would switch allegiances quickly to somebody else if that happened. But as far as Musaka and Grandal, uh, yeah, I think I think they belong here for this season. I think you uh, you look to hopefully see them get hot in the last couple months and with a couple of additions, most likely to the pitching staff. I think that's the best route to go, and the Brewers are still going to be right in the thick of it by uh, by the end of the year. The other side of this buyer or seller conversation, and quite honestly, I don't think this is getting talked about enough. The, the teams that are having these conversations about being a buyer or being a seller, it's the Arizona Diamondbacks, the San Francisco Giants, it's you know maybe the the, the two second and the two teams in the National League East, the in the Washington Nationals and the the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, maybe this doesn't apply quite as much to the East because the Braves seem to be falling off. So maybe there's going to be a door that's going to open for for one of those teams. But certainly the difference for me is. The Brewers are fighting for a division title, and whether their record is similar to the Giants and Diamondbacks, they're fighting mm-hmm. for a division title. Giants, Diamondbacks, they're fighting for a wild card berth where all you're guaranteed is one game, and then you're guaranteed a series against the Dodgers after that. I think it's a really different discussion for the Brewers when you're within a game or two of first place in the division as opposed to teams that are fighting for a wild card spot. Would you agree? Definitely a fair point. I think that, um, as everyone knows, going into a one-game playoff, at least trying to push all your chips in to hopefully win that one game, as, as some a lot of those teams that would be going for, that's a, a lot riskier and you know a tougher sell, especially to the general managers and the ownership who hopefully, if, <laughs> if they run your teams, they see it a little more objectively than how fans do. Uh, you know, you hear back and forth from San Francisco whether or not they're going to go for it and keep their guys or if they're going to, you know, try to max out the value of guys like Bumgarner and Will Smith and the other pieces that might be available. Everything I hear they're you know, their GM's a smart guy. They know that they'd have to jump four teams and you're still a one and done situation with the wildcard game. And how was that worth it? You know, you got to start building for the future a bit. So it's definitely, I mean, a great perspective on it and the difference between teams like the Cubs, Cardinals and Brewers who are all in that dogfight for the division versus, the East and West, where, where maybe uh, you, know, you don't see it that way, especially in the West, Dodgers running away with it. And that that's what muddies the waters, too, though, for a team like the Brewers, because those wildcard teams, potentially, you don't know what their true intentions are. And if anything, they're going to play it a little bit more like, oh, we're going to keep these guys, although it's sounding like I think Arizona's admitted they're selling guys off. But if they play it that way, then they're just looking to drive up value, and then Stern has to decide: okay, how much am I willing to give up? Are we bidding against ourselves? Are we, you know, are we actually fighting for a couple of these top pieces with, say, the the Phillies or even the Braves? I mean, because ideally, even if you're a division winner, you want to have the most talent you can to at least give you a, a better shot in the postseason. Um, so, as much as I, I I do enjoy the wild card and the idea that you know at least gives you one more chance to get into the, the real tournament uh, when you get into the five-game series of the LDS. Um, that's another thing that sort of makes the, the trade deadline, and with only one trade deadline, uh, further muddying the waters as far as what, what do you want to do, what should you do. But I think, to your point, a team like the Brewers, then they should look at it that way. Uh, well, you know, we have a greater opportunity to do damage in the postseason. We actually have experience now. We've, we did it last year. We were that close. And if we end up winning the division, we're guaranteed that series where we're not worried about, you know, losing some prospects to lose one game to a hot pitcher and we're out. So uh, I, I hope Stearns, again, is looking at it that way, and, and I would imagine he is. I'm sure he's looking for creative ways to not 
give up the farm, so to speak, but also bring in impact guys. And, um, and I don't see any reason they're going to be out of the division race, at least anytime soon, which should give them an extra carrot to, to push in and, and buy a piece or two. It's pretty incredible with what's happened with starting pitching over the last couple of weeks because it's been a roller coaster all year with starting pitching. There's been periods where they've been really good. There was, a, I think, a 31-game period where they had like a 6.5 ERA. So it, it's been a roller coaster, but they were it was pretty solid there for a while. And then Brandon Woodruff goes down with an oblique for six weeks. And then Yoli Chassin goes down with an oblique for two to four weeks. And uh, Gio Gonzalez has uh, got some tightness in his shoulder. And there's no set. He's not going to go on the injured list, but there's no set time on when he's going to make his next start. So right now there are two starters in the rotation that are healthy and good to make their next starts. Adrian Hauser's a relief pitcher, has been a relief pitcher recently. He's probably going to go back in the rotation. So you've got you've got that available, but just two guys who have really been in the rotation here recently. One guy in Zach Davies who has really struggled his last two times out. All of a sudden, you're living in a world where a guy who didn't even make the starting rotation out of spring training and Chase Anderson is the guy that you can trust the most. It's a what a what a weird, weird, weird place the Brewers are in right now from a starting pitching standpoint. Yeah, and it goes to show last year how they were pretty fortunate overall to get so many starts from the guys they were hoping to get the starts from, um, both from the injury side of things and also ineffectiveness because you look at someone like Corbin Burns, and obviously he's he's had his own injuries here supposedly lately. But uh, you know, I was all in for him being in the rotation, and hey, this is going to be he, he stepped up unbelievably well in the postseason and down the stretch in the in the bullpen. You know, this is going to be his time to shine. That didn't work. Pretty for all, I was a little you know uneasy about. I thought AAA probably would have been a good start for him, but maybe he would he would settle his way in the rotation. That hasn't worked out. Now he's done a terrific piece in the bullpen. And kudos to him and the Brewers for you know making that work right now. Um, but to your point, with otherwise with the injuries and even before Shasin got hurt, he was extremely ineffective on a consistent basis. Uh, it, I, that's just the way it goes with, with baseball, and that's why truly when you feel you have the opportunity to strike and you have a chance to win a championship, I'm not saying you mortgage everything, but you really got to go for it. Um, I mean, you can look at teams like the Cubs, who everyone thought was going to be this dynasty. They haven't been back to the World Series since they won it. The Brewers last year were that close, and that's why you feel like, oh, such a missed opportunity, because you don't know if you're going to have that success with your pitching staff, if you're going to have health concerns, if everything's going to break your way, you're going to win those one-run games. Uh, This year, it seems like that is the the biggest issue, is just with the pitching. And uh, as I said, a combination of not performing well, performing up to the standards you expected, and, and then the injuries, which really start to hurt you because immediately uh, you find out how much depth you have or don't have. And, uh, you know, obviously across the league, everyone's always looking for pitching. Even if you have – you could have six solid starters and you still want two more just in case. Because every, every pitcher essentially is bound to get hurt at some point, especially over the course of a season or stiffness, fatigue, however you want to phrase some of those things that happen. Um, so I, they're in a tough spot. And that's another reason why I think they have to go out and actually get somebody. Um, I mean, I mentioned it. Uh, with some people before, I think I might have heard you mention on the radio where you know Zach Brown felt like he was going to be an option this year, and he's just been really bad, unfortunately, in AAA. And um, you know, even his peripheral numbers where you could maybe give him a chance, that doesn't work. So pretty much everything the Brewers have tried to do or thought was going to work this year for pitching hasn't. Then you throw in the injuries, 
And they're really, I mean, they're really scrambling right now. Um, I agree that Hauser probably has to make a start here coming up soon. I know he pitched in relief uh, the other night, but, you know, he didn't throw that much. And then uh, I think they either have to go a bullpen game or they have to get somebody in here. Otherwise, they're just going to be throwing a guy like Brown in there or uh, Shelby Miller. I think he's still with them, isn't he? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's really, It really is unbelievable, and especially, as you said, this little stretch where um, – guys getting hurt. I mean, three guys uh, and one time through the rotation leaving the game with an injury. That's, I don't want to say it's unheard of, but that's, that's pretty well being snake bitten if I've ever seen it. I, you mentioned Shelby Miller. Like It just happened recently. I had completely forgotten about him, but he's been totally ineffective at the major league level as well this year. I mean, it's just, true. True. It, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I find it interesting, and I don't know if it's, you know, to use like a term from, uh, what was the movie, uh, The Replacements with Gene Hackman, where he talked about, you know, ducks on the pond, or ducks in the water, whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> council seems so calm in the whole we're going to start somebody, I promise you that. And fans are sitting here freaking out about who's going to start this series in Oakland, and you got Craig Council go, oh, it'll be somebody. Right, right. I mean, I'm sure he's freaking out behind the scenes, too. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they have at least three or four different game plans as far as, well, if we do get a guy, and I'm sure they're talking specific names. I, I mean, I, I'd imagine Stearns is at least keeping Council in the loop on that. I think they have three plans, probably. If, if we do get this guy or a guy, this will be our plan. If we get nobody, this will be our plan. And if we get, you know, multiple guys, then, then we figure out the rotation this way. Um, I mean, they have to. They have to be prepared for it. They obviously have somewhat of an idea of what they might do. They just can't commit and don't have to with the off day on Monday uh, and then heading out uh, to Oakland on that, that series. So I, I'm sure they're scratching their heads. I'm sure they are trying to figure out every single creative combination they can come up with. Uh, I mean, there are guys out there and available, obviously, to, to what level they might be uh, you know, acquired for. That obviously makes a difference. Um, I would think they're looking more, at least in this right now, looking at rental guys because it would cost them less, obviously. Um, but I mean, just getting bodies in there. I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you give Zach Brown a chance? Maybe you think that uh, something clicks with him, or he's so pumped up coming up to the majors, and nobody's really seen him that he's going to be effective. And you give him that one start, at least to stem the tide. Now, I mean, you've seen teams do that before. Of course, the concern is he comes up, gets hammered, and now you mess with his psyche even more. I mean. There's so many variables that go into this and so many factors that it's, it's really tough to figure out. Um, man, I, 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 I don't envy them in a lot of ways. Of course, I'd love to be in, in any of their meetings, hearing what their plans are, what their thoughts are. But um, it's going to be a really intriguing few days here with the deadline, with them playing on the West Coast, and uh, just figuring out what's going to work for them short term and also – if they're looking to push for the postseason, they got to think what's going to help them for the next two months as well. All right, so a couple things in response to everything you just said. First off, a name you didn't mention, and I know he did not perform well in his AAA debut, but at least he's been performing all year. I would almost feel more comfortable with a Trey Shupak because at least at least he's been having success this year. I know it ha- it almost wouldn't seem fair that he gets up to AAA struggles, yet he gets the chance over Zach Brown, who had previously sure. dominated AA, but at least he was good this year where – Brown hasn't been good this year. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, before he got called up, I had seen and kind of had conversations with different people about wondering why he had been moved up. Because as you said, he was pitching, at least statistically, really well 
in, in uh, double A and uh, you know, some thoughts to it were, well, leave him down there, let him really pitch well and use him as some sort of bait for, for a trade. Um, now that they moved him up and he got hit hard, I mean, that shouldn't necessarily dissuade people. I, I mean, again, the GMs and, and everyone in the front offices, they don't go off of one game or even one season or necessarily even statistics. They have their own, you know, analytics and their own thought process on why they do that. Um, but it, you know, we've seen it before with, with guys where, you know, a team brings up a pitcher who's maybe fifth on their list of top pitchers, um, for different reasons. As you said, maybe they're, they're pitching well overall. So you give him that shot. Maybe it's a confidence thing. Maybe it's a timing thing of, you know, when their spot is up in the rotation or if they're in close proximity to where they need to be. I mean, all these, again, all these factors go into play. Um, and, and I think sometimes people, they question the front office, and that's fair to do. I do it all the time, too, but they, they think they're just flying by the seat of their pants. But, I mean, these guys are getting paid plenty, and they know what's at stake, and they have an idea of why they're doing something. And we might not agree. might not make sense to us. Um, and so it's a possibility he, he comes up to get that one-time start, or maybe he pitches well and he gets a couple times in the rotation. Uh, I think anything is pretty much on the table at this point. Um you know, I, and you don't even know with minor league statistics how how well that works in the big leagues. And I think Birch Smith was pitching extremely well in the in the minors, and he's not been that great up with the Brewers. So it, it's really hard to make those those judgments without actually seeing a guy on a day to day basis, getting those reports that the front office gets. Um, but I wouldn't put anything past the Brewers at this point. They've shown to be creative. They've shown to you know go outside the box whenever they have to, and. Um, who knows? Tupac could be the one that comes up. Update on Shelby Miller. He has appeared in one game in the, uh, let's see. Uh, he, well, that doesn't bode well already. <laughs> uh, well, it was in Arizona. He pitched in Arizona okay. and gave up three runs in three innings. Well, Check yeah. that. I mean, again, it, it, it yeah. might be one you just throw out there because he's a veteran. He's been yeah. there. It's not, if you if you heard his psyche, oh well. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, actually, he pitched in one game at San Antonio, gave up two, three runs in two innings, and then went eight days and has pitched in Arizona. So he must be injured or something. I don't know what's going on with him. Hmm. Uh, but it's okay. I, I don't think he's the guy at this point, quite honestly. No, it doesn't sound like it. And I know uh, Smiley was in there. Uh, in their org uh, briefly there, and they gave him his, his release because I mean, he was allowed to, to leave, um, you know, whatever the contract tool obligations were if he wasn't in the big leagues by a certain time, that kind of thing. And I think somebody, I thought I read somewhere he had a good start for the Phillies, so then you yeah. kind of scratch your head on that one. But again, you don't know. I mean, that those guys were shots in the dark, just hoping maybe if they can find some of the magic they showed a little bit in the major leagues or when they were younger. But again, it's it's uh, it's anybody's guess at this point. Does the Cup Series change any? Uh, and I mean, you're already on record saying buy all the way, and I, I've been that way as well. We agree 100%. But taking two of three from the Cubs, did that change your opinion at all of this team? Not, not really. Uh, obviously, disappointing to see Davies struggle so much again. Um, you know, I think it was. I mean, the walks and, and a couple bad located pitches for sure that that hurt him and. Uh, and just the team in general, it's kind of been happening here or there. Uh, I don't think it changes a whole lot. I think, for the most part, the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals have, have been sort of back and forth with playing well for a stretch, playing poorly for a stretch. Nobody's pulled away. Nobody's dropped too far behind where you feel out of it. Um, so it's kind of been what we expected as far as a three-horse race. Just I think we all felt they'd be more you know, closer to 
20 games over than just a handful of games over 500. Uh, but I don't know how much changes. Um, the pitching, you know, the bullpen at times has looked great, and, and that was the case in this series. The bullpen actually did really well. Um, the offense has shown signs of life. They'll still have their issues, whether it's, uh, you know, running the scoring position or just getting on base in general with some of the strikeouts or, or poor at bats, but then they're going to hit their home run. And, you know, when they come at the right time, that's going to give them, give them those victories. I think what's encouraging is they've shown, really in the last week, including this series, being able to come back later in games. Um, I think that's always been an argument against a lot of the Brewers teams is that if they fall behind early, they're kind of out of it, whether it's because they're a, a big swing and miss team or, or for whatever reason they just can't turn it on in the second half of the game. So I think that's a good sign. Um, looking on the reverse side of things, the Cubs bullpen still seems to be an issue, which is a positive for the Brewers because it's going to help keep a minute. But I don't know that anything is really, you know, solved or, or changed or figured out from this series. Obviously, if the Cubs somehow would have swept the Brewers, that would have that would have really put a damper on things, and you definitely would have heard the sell mantra from a lot of fans anyway. Um, but yeah, other than that, if unless the Cubs had swept the Brewers, and even if the Brewers would have swept the Cubs, I don't think it, it changed anything. Um, I think we're still right where we thought we'd be. It's a little bit different as far as the records go. And, um, you know, the Cardinals didn't die. They didn't fall away either. So with two months ago, it's it's still what I think everyone anticipated. And um, I, I don't think the opinion on much has changed as far as the Brewers themselves go. It's uh, a lot of people want to focus in on what the team's record was last year versus what the team's record is this year. My sure. take has been... I don't think this team right now is as good as they were in August and September of last year, especially September. Uh, I don't. Uh, it's hard for me to compare this team with the way they were playing, you know, in, in mid to late July of last year. But I look at a division, and the Reds and Pirates are finally falling off, and we expected that to happen. But even with them falling off, they're they're not bad teams. They're not great teams, but the Pirates are, are an okay team. The Reds, I think, are a good team uh, that. You look at this division with the Cubs and the Cardinals, the Brewers, and then those two teams, everybody's just eating each other up playing these 19 games. So this is one of those – I like to I like to say that you, know, you can look at numbers and the old Bill Parcells, you are what your record. This is one of those years where I don't know if that's completely true because I do feel like this team is somewhat getting eaten up and the other teams in the division are being eaten up by the division. Would you agree with that? Well, I mean, before the season, that's – Kind of one thing that I had said was, uh, I mean, I, when I was writing a little more frequently through True Ball, um, you know, doing like preseason stuff and talking about projections and all that, one of the things I, I put in for everyone to hopefully understand was that going into the season, I truly felt the Brewers were a better team this year than last year. However, with how good the NL Central is going to be and really the National League as a whole, I mean, lots of improvements with teams that, that they'll probably have a worse record and they might not make the playoffs while even technically being a better team in theory. Because um, to your point, you are playing different teams now. You're playing teams that have improved. You're playing a tough schedule where it doesn't feel like there's any room to breathe. Um, all that plays a factor, and that's why records are going to sway from one year to the next. And I truthfully thought whoever wins this division is probably going to win the main game at the most. That was my thought, and as we're getting closer to the end of the season, it looks like that might be the case. Now, again, a team or two can get hot and, and really rattle off a, a big chunk of wins. But going into it, it felt like that was going to be the case. You mentioned the Pirates. You know, they're still a solid team. You, you weren't sure exactly how 
um, how they're going to perform. And, and as you said, they've fallen off a little bit here. I think they're seven, at least we're on a seven-game losing streak, I think. Uh, the Reds obviously brought in guys to, to improve. Um, the biggest part of that might have been Derek Johnson because of how much he seems to have hurt the Brewers as well. Uh, I know we haven't talked about that, but that's obviously a big conversation people have when it comes hmm. to the pitching staff. So I do. I mean, I do agree that you know, there's more that goes into than just oh, well, they're not as good as last year. Their record shows they're not as good as last year. That might not actually be the case. Uh, you can definitely look at the pitching and say it has not performed like last season. But even coming into the year, yeah, I thought it was going to be a bloodbath in the National League, especially in the Central, with with the amount of talent you had, the improvements you had, and you know, you just you play teams so often. It's it's really rare that you're going to win, you know, 15 out of 19 games against a divisional team. And, and if they just get incrementally better, and that takes away one or two wins from each of those teams, suddenly you go from 96 wins down to 90 or 88 if you have some bad luck. So um, it's not really surprising. It, it's a little surprising that, that there's been this much of a struggle. But when you look at the, the, the issues with the pitching, then it's not that much of a surprise. And in some ways, it's still a, a positive definitely that they're they're in the race and, and i hope people can look at it more that way than than being frustrated with the actual record itself i get stuck in this place where, you know sometimes if you don't like somebody as much as somebody else likes that person it sounds like you're actually criticizing that person and, and you're not criticizing maybe you just don't think as highly of them or whatever it might be and the pitching coach situation's interesting because i don't think we've got Anybody who's going to criticize Chris Hook, I think it's I think it's a really hard place to be in when you consider personnel changes, the injuries, the the adversity, just the different season. It's it's very 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 challenging to evaluate a pitching coach, especially without even a full season and sometimes multiple seasons of of data to really take a look at. And I get the Der- and I think Derek Johnson is a heck of a pitching coach. That's where I'm not trying to put down Derek Johnson, but people make him out to be the savior. And if you look at the Reds, their ERA over the last month is worse than the Brewers. Overall for the season, it's still better. But in the last month, the Reds' ERA is worse than the Brewers' ERA. Brewers' pitchers are trending better than, than Reds' pitchers. And the, the pro Derek Johnson people don't want, to, don't want to hear that. And again, it's not me putting DJ down. It's me saying, we don't really know how good of a pitching coach Chris Hook is. That's fair, and even when I and others discuss the idea of you know how much they might miss Derek Johnson, I, that's what I would focus more on is is Johnson's departure versus Chris Hook's influence or lack thereof. Um, but I am always quick to caution: we don't know. We don't know the conversations. We don't know, you know, if they're talking mechanical stuff, if it's a you know philosophical thing as far as what pitches they're throwing, when, location, you know, uh, different counts, what they're trying to do there. Uh, there's again, there's so much that goes into it that we don't know. I'd love to be a part of, and all I can do really is speculate on certain things. Um, if you look at the big picture of everything, it certainly looks like Johnson had his finger on the pulse of everybody with the staff uh, in Milwaukee, because in general it looks like it's. Um, I mean, so many players, so many pitchers, especially, seem to have regressed, and I use regressed in this way as in the negative way, not. Technically, you can regress upward, but that's another conversation. Um, it does appear that his departure certainly hurt on the whole. Uh, again, not knowing exactly why that would be, if it is more philosophical versus mechanical, whatever it is. Um, I also agree, though, that we don't know enough about Chris Hook. We don't know um, if he's been able to incorporate certain things that he wanted to. 
because of the injury situation or because of they've had to rearrange things with the rotation and the bullpen. Um, and you do have to give a guy an opportunity to really get his, his system, his mindset into play. And obviously one season is not, not enough to do that. So I kind of see it from both sides in that way. I, I do think it's more of a departure of DJ versus any issues that Chris Hook is creating. Now, if it continues in the next year and everyone's, you know, there's more health or you see similar issues that, that crop up, then you can start, I think, to question him more. Um, but I, I do agree in the sense that we can't, we don't know. We don't 100% know. You know, I can try to use whatever my experiences are, whether it be coaching or just observing, talking to people. Um, and I, and I, I do, though, caution everyone that I don't have the answers. It's really an opinion based on things that I see and, and experiences from my past and whether or not it's, it's accurate. You know, we, we really can't say. And I don't even know if the pitchers themselves could, could say or break it down. I think in the end they'll put the blame on themselves and say, I'm just not executing. I need to figure this out. And uh, I, I think that's the back and forth that people go through when it comes to, to coaches in Major League Baseball. And I would say that I do think pitching coaches have an impact in Major League Baseball far more greater than uh, hitting coaches. I, I think that there's less of an impact there. But pitching, I, I definitely think there's uh, there's great value in having a guy who really understands the staff and what works for them. Let me finish you off with this. I think a lot of people were caught off guard when Travis Shaw got call, called back up and Shaw was killing it at AAA. I'm not, I'm not going to judge him completely off the Cubs series, which did not go well. Uh, that it was a, it was a tiny sample size, and we'll see what happens moving forward. But they're playing right now. They don't have enough pitchers. They're playing a man down in the bullpen, and the way Craig Council likes to manage a game, you can do that when you're playing a series where you have an off day in front of it and the off day after it, but you can't really do that mm-hmm. for very long. They don't have enough starting pitchers on the roster right now. I mean, the roster is in total flux right now. Shaw gets called up. He doesn't do anything during the Cubs here. What what do you see at this point with Shaw? Um, <laughs> one of those years, and I know I know people don't like that answer, uh, but you can look throughout the history of, of Major League Baseball, and you could see a guy just hit, 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 hit five years in a row, and then one year you lost it. You know, you didn't have it early. You struggle. You press. You you start changing things. You don't realize you're changing, or you shouldn't change. Uh, now, Shaw doesn't necessarily have that big of a track record. Um, you know, there were concerns about him in Boston, which is what led to the, the trade to Milwaukee in part. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to figure out. It, as you said, he was he's mashing in AAA, but we all know the difference between there and, and the big leagues is it can be huge. Um, when I see him personally, and again, I'm not with him every day. I'm not in the clubhouse and that stuff. It, it just looks like he is pressing all the time. And it almost seems like he's guessing on every single pitch. So when he's wrong, he takes seems to take a pitch that he should be swinging at, and he tends to swing at pitches that you know, has no business swinging at. Um, and I don't blame him for pressing. I mean, he's a guy who last couple of years, you know, 30-plus home runs, big part of the offense, um, probably getting comfortable in Milwaukee, obviously – you know, in the, in the past, he had the the health issue with his daughter that, um, you know, he was able to, to work through with that, and um, I'm sure that was a concern. I think a lot of people thought was that kind of off his mind that he would really take off maybe this year, and just doesn't happen. And and sometimes that is the way it goes. I wouldn't say you have to you write him off for the the year. And as you said, you can't take anything from thing from this series. Uh, you can't put all that pressure on a guy in you know three, four, five at bats. That's that's not fair either. Um. But at some point, if you are going to try to 
to push for this thing, you have to ride the guys that are actually producing. And whether that means he needs to take another stint down in, in the minors so that you can have that extra pitcher. And, uh, you know, he comes back up in September and that might have to be the case. He's not going to be happy about it, but at some point you, you got to play the guys that produce and for whatever reason, it's not happening right now. Um, Early on, it seemed like he was really jumpy and, and flying out at the ball, and you know, he was just everything seemed off about his swing. You'd hope going down to AAA would help. Um, again, statistically, it looks great, but it's one of those things where you don't have to be perfect. If you're if you're a major leaguer, if you're a vet, you don't have to be perfect for what you're doing to hit minor league stuff necessarily. When you get in the big leagues, even the worst guys are are unbelievably talented, and um, he just has not been able to find his way out of that. And I don't know if he's going to get enough regular playing time because Thames has produced, for the most part, against righties. And Aguilar, he's kind of scuffled here and there a bit still, but I still think you know, you're know you not going to throw Shaw in there against lefties. So he's in a tough spot. The Brewers are in a tough spot. And assuming they're going to keep him up for the, the Oakland series because you have the DH, so you, you want to make sure you have bats. But, again, the, the roster is such a, a fluid thing for the Brewers, especially with the, the starting pitching woes. Um it is it is really going to be intriguing to see what they do and and heck maybe they try to package him in a deal that somebody really believes in him and can give him those everyday starts and somehow it works out that way. Um, that's probably the best case scenario because right now you would think he doesn't have much value in the trade market for obvious reasons. I know I said it was going to be my last thing, but I'm going to follow up on that <laughs> real quick. I don't like selling low, and maybe maybe right. it's a situation right. where you've got a deal worked out and you need one more throw-in player to make mm-hmm. it work, and if that ends up being him, I get that, but trading him where he's the centerpiece of a trade or he's a big piece of a trade, I would kind of lament that because I would feel like he's a guy who's been a 30-plus home run guy, you've got club control, he could very easily return to being that guy, and if you're selling the current version, I feel like you're, you're going to get pennies on the dollar. For sure. I mean, you definitely would be, if, especially if you're seeing him as the big piece or a piece there, um, you're selling him at you know, low value, as you said. I mean, there's, there's no arguing that. I think things that the Brewers and anything has to think about is go beyond that, too. I mean, I think, is he 30, 31? So it's not like he's on the, the young side of things. He, not in his prime, so to speak. He's had his issues. Um, so I guess does his value ever get back up there? I mean, maybe he gets off to a hot start next year if you still have him, and then you look to deal him. It also just takes one team. Maybe there's a team that they deny him up for a year and a half, and yeah, they might be buying a little bit low on him, but they're still going to get a little bit more than the other, you know, 29 teams just because they like what they see. He fits a need of theirs. Um, and again, he would be a piece of a package. There's no way, as you said, he would be the, the headliner now. If you trade him in the offseason, maybe he would have been coming off of two 30 plus home run seasons. Um, so again, that's the tough spot they're in. I and mean, it's kind of when they're trying to figure out what to do with. Uh, with kind of the roster crunch and, and wanting to have Keston here up as well. You don't want to expose Aguilar because we have, we have team control of him for a while and on the cheap end. And, I mean, gosh, he hit so well in the first half last year. We still think he can do this. Shaw, 30-plus home runs in back-to-back years. I mean, it's definitely still in him, right? He didn't just lose it. Fortunately, he had that option where he could be sent down. So I, I, I'm sure they've looked at everything. I'm sure they discussed just about every player, and, and it, it could be possible you're definitely not going to get what you would have got for him in the off season, but if he is that one last throw in that gets you over the top, and or maybe you're trading, 
him as a disappointment for uh, another guy who's been proven, but has been disappointing this year, maybe out of the bullpen. And maybe that's something they, they decide to do because in the end, they don't see Shaw as a long-term piece at their base. I mean, it's, again, it's, it's so hard to know without being in those conversations, but I do think it's at least feasible, but you're not going to get, as you said, the value you would have in the past. All right, Tim, great stuff as always. Uh, encourage folks to uh, see you on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma, M-U-M-A. We'll be uh, probably seeing some more stuff from you out at uh, brewcrewball.com in the very near future as well. Uh, thanks so much for the time. I always enjoy our conversation. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Appreciate it. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. This is fun for me because uh, for those of you listening, probably most of you know that I've got connections to Colorado Springs. I was uh, there for six years when, uh, well, the final part of that was when the Brewers had their AAA team in Colorado Springs, and a guy that I got to know pretty well and was a regular guest on my radio show when I was in Colorado Springs is Rob Namnoon, and now he is serving as the uh, voice of the Rocky Mountain Vibes, the short-season uh, A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers, and we bring Rob onto the uh, podcast right now. Rob, thanks for taking some time. This is fun. Oh, man, thanks for having me. I'm glad we can uh, be reunited. Hey, uh, so I think people are kind of... Brewers fans are used to Colorado Springs because of the AAA aspect of it, but Colorado Springs sometimes got kind of dumped on as a AAA affiliate, as a as a as a short season affiliate. It seems like it's got to be one of the best, especially in that league. Is is it fitting pretty well in that league? Yeah, I think all in all, it's being received well for the most part. There's still some people who I don't think they, you know. As you remember when you were living here, Matt, when the uh, affiliation moved from the Rockies to the Brewers, a lot of people were turned off by that uh, because they're Rockies fans here in the Rocky Mountain region. But I don't think they understand the dynamics of it. Basically, as you know, the Rockies wanted to move their brand into Albuquerque, so they bought the team in Albuquerque, and now they have you know, their AAA team there. And I think a lot of people think, oh, these guys are... 18, 19, 20 years old. It's like high school baseball. Well, it's far from that. <laughs> They're pretty talented guys. They they play big time either college baseball or, you know, or we're one of the top, you know, 100 to 200 players in high school baseball in the nation. So I think I think slowly that aspect is starting to to grow on people, but I think there were people who were apprehensive initially. From a from a facility standpoint, that was another issue when it was a AAA team. I, I I know what that clubhouse looks like. I know about the cages. I mean, that it, it fit as a AAA team. Is that the best, or is it one of the best in the league from a facility standpoint now? It is. I think uh, Ogden has one of the better facilities, too, because they play at uh, – or no, pardon me, Orem. The Orem Owls play on the campus of Utah Valley State. So they have a pretty good facility there as well. But, yeah, in fact, it was interesting. The first two homestands, uh, the players were always happy to be back home because they would be playing in front of five, maybe 6,000 people. And for a lot of these players, they had only played before this, maybe in front of, you know, a couple hundred. So they liked playing at home and having, you know, a lot of fannies in the seats and, 
you know, with Jack, it was interesting. The very first homestand, you would see guys really trying to maybe even do too much because there were actually people in the stands watching them play. <laughs> Uh, one of the other criticisms when it was a triple-A team was the inability for breaking pitches to really break. Now, that's not going to change when you're at a lower level, but I've also heard people say, you know, at, at that point in development, it's a, it's a lot of fastballs. There's not as much breaking stuff being thrown, certainly not as much breaking stuff being thrown for strikes. Is that a, is that a correct evaluation? Yeah, and, and here's another thing. 60% of the team are from the Dominican Republic, so uh, their first homestand in June, you know, as you, you're well aware, Matt, and from covering and calling games at uh, UC Health Park, you know, it gets chilly at night, even though it's summertime. And there was a pitcher, and I can't remember which one it was, and I, uh, I forgive me for forgetting who it was, but... He came in in the seventh inning, and when he came out, he said to the manager, Nestor Corder, Coach, I can't feel my hands. And it was only about 65 <laughs> degrees outside. <laughs> because, you know, in the Dominican Republic, it never gets lower than 85. So that, beyond the breaking pitches and pitching at altitude, for some of the pitchers, just even it being chilly at night has been somewhat of a challenge. You mentioned Nestor Corridor, and you, you've been in Colorado Springs for a long time, Rob, so you have, you've been around and you've interviewed and you've talked to a lot of AAA managers, and they've got a very interesting job at AAA where you're, you're mm-hmm. dealing with guys who have just been sent down, guys who aren't – nobody's happy at AAA unless you're the guy who's been called up from AA for the first time, and then you're happy for like two weeks and you're not happy again. It's one of the most right. unhappy group of guys you're going to see anywhere in baseball. This is a very different environment. Can you talk to me a little bit about uh, the personality of uh, Nestor Corridor and how he works with these young guys? Well, let me tell you, Nestor Corridor is the perfect manager for the Rocky Mountain Vibes. Uh, he he played in the big leagues, played for the Brewers. Actually, I think his last year with the Brewers, they converted him from a catcher to pitcher. So he was a guy who loves, base, loves baseball and is great with the players. And here's one of the great things that he does with his players. After each game, he grabs three or four guys, and he has them get together, and they talk about the game, and the coaches are all there, but they don't interject. And it's something they learned. Uh, I guess they do this in the military when they go on missions. They'll go on a mission, and when they come back, the crew, so to speak, will come together, and they'll talk about what they did right and what they did wrong, what they can improve upon. And that's basically what Nestor implements in the clubhouse every game because he knows that they're young players who um, – are becoming professional players who obviously have aspirations of becoming, uh, you know, future brewers. And he wants them to think and breathe baseball and he wants them to understand what they're doing. So he, he kind of puts the onus on them after the game, whether it's good or bad, whether, you know, they vent a little bit or whether they compliment one another, he wants them to kind of own it. And he's very positive. I mean, the first month of the season, really the season in itself, the first half hasn't gone as well as they would have liked when it comes to wins and losses. But as you know, Matt, it's not about wins and losses. It's about developing future Brewer players. But he would say, and it was true, they would lose a game because of one bad pitch or one bad swing. And he kept that positivity in the clubhouse. And then after about the first two or three weeks of the season, you saw the players improve drastically. I mean, there were times, Matt, 
you know, the dynamic between the pitcher and the catcher. It was kind of high school baseball-ish, you know, pass balls that you're like, yeah, that guy played for University of Washington, probably should block that pitch, you know. So he's done a wonderful job of empowering the players and teaching them how to be pros. And he's just so positive. He's just the perfect guy to manage this Rocky Mountain Vibes baseball team. He was born in Venezuela, and you mentioned the Latin American aspect of this team and how many uh, do hail from, from Latin American countries. Is, is that, does that help uh, in that dynamic? Absolutely. Absolutely, because of the language barrier. And I asked their pitching coach, Michael Shellac, I said, you know, some of your players are in America for the first time, and their English is not as strong as, you know, it will be in a couple of years. How do you communicate with them? You know, they have a catcher named Luis Avila, and he'll translate for Schlack when he goes out to the mound, and he'll talk to, you know, a, a player from Venezuela or from the Dominican Republic. And uh, so there's that challenge, and, and that's why I, I I could see Nestor Corder being a big league manager in five to ten years, but right now what he's doing for the Brewers organization, and I say this sincere, sincerely, is invaluable. Um, let's get into some of the guys, and I want to start with maybe the best story. And I encourage people to uh, go to krdo.com, which is the uh, the television station uh, you work for, because you put together a great story. You can find it. But Brock Beg, he had a stroke when he was basically born and was expected to die, and he's still alive, and he still deals with physical ailments that are incredible. Yet he's out there pitching. This is incredible. Yeah, so Brock Big is 20 years old. He's a left-handed pitcher. Um, you know, he's from Ohio. He just a great kid, first and foremost. Just, I mean, the coaches gush about him when they talk about him. And Michael Schlack, the pitching coach for the Vibes, he believes that he has the tools to be a big league pitcher, you know, maybe five years down the road. But, yeah, so a couple of days after Brock Big was born, he suffered – a stroke, which led to seizures, uncontrollable seizures. And for the first two weeks of his life, it was hit and miss. In fact, it got so bad that his parents drove him to a priest in Indiana to give him his last rites. That's how bleak it was for Brock Beg. Um, and then after a while, they kind of the doctors kind of solved it, for a lack of better words, his seizures, and he got to go home. But the doctors told his parents he would never walk again. I mean, never walk again, and the guy's playing professional baseball. Think about that for a minute. Well, because of the stroke, for the for the most part, he has no feeling on the right side of his body. In fact, even on the right side of his face, he says sometimes there'll be food in the corner of his mouth, and he has no idea it's there because he can't feel it. And you think about this, man. So Brock pitches, let's say he throws 85 pitches in the game. And, of course, there's the warm-up pitches. And, you know, there's the warm-up before the game. So he's probably catching a baseball 120, 130 times. He doesn't feel the baseball hitting his hand, which is astounding. In fact, in the story that I did on him in getting video, I've got a play in which he is covering first base. And it's a bang-bang play. And he's a great athlete, too. He played basketball in high school. I mean, this was a kid who just was determined to not let – as you mentioned, his ailment of the lack of feeling on the right side of his body hold him down. And he said basically he struggled in school because of the stroke. You know, he 
He has some memory lapse, and he said he was in special ed classes, and and he's. And this is going to sound bad, and maybe people don't quite understand if they're listening to this. But he, he, his parents and him kind of put a plan together, like, well, maybe athletics is the way to go because academically he's going to struggle. And his his uncle played professional baseball for the Royals, was a pitcher, and so he's just a great kid, great athlete, and if you watch the story you are going to be touched and inspired because it's truly remarkable. It's a story of someone defying the odds. It's great stuff. It really is. It's a cool story, and I'm glad we could lead off with that. Thanks. Uh, team has th- three top 30 prospects, uh, prospects per MLB pipeline. They're all outfielders. Let's go through them real quick. We'll start with Joe Gray. He dropped a little bit on the uh, recent uh, reshuffled MLB, uh, MILB pipeline. Uh, hasn't played a lot. He's only played two games since uh, July 2nd. Has not had the success that he'd like to have, hitting 152. W- what's going on right now with Joe Gray? He's been dealing with a hamstring injury since week one, and it's kept him off the field. And let me tell you, Matt, this kid is dynamic. You see him in the, you know, you go to Burgers and you see guys in the cage. And when Christian Yelich is hitting BP, it's a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of the same way with Joe Gray Jr. This kid is 19 years old. He's already built like a man, can run, but this hamstring issue has really limited him. But in, in talking to him, he just has that it factor. When you're around him, you're like, this kid's a star in the making. So I, I'm sure the Brewers are going to be patient with him because he's only 19 years old. And he's very wise behind his years. He's, he's got a high baseball IQ. Um, so hopefully in the second half of the season, we'll see more of him because he, he is just a talent. And I want to see him selfishly. You know, you see him in the cage, and you're like, I can't wait to see this kid hit four times in the game. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see how he handles the bat and handles pitchers. Um, I, I think he's going to be all right. It's just I, they're, they've been, they're very cautious. I mean, there's uh, there's a first baseman, Ernesto Martinez, had a collision the other night. Um, so they're being careful with him. Michael Bello, who's 18 years old, uh, one of their top hitters. He's been in concussion protocol. He just got back, so they do not mess around uh, with that. And there's another guy, Brian Torres, who was in concussion protocol for a while, missed about 10 games, and he's one of their better hitters. So they're very careful with these guys. They they get the kid glove treatment sometimes. You mentioned the next guy I was going to ask you about, and Mike Abello. Uh, he, he's the number 18 prospect. I think he's dropped a little bit as well. Uh, from the Brewers' prospect folks, it seemed like there was a little bit of higher expectations for him than what he's so far doing this year. Is that a is that fair or not? I, I think I think one thing you got to remember: he's 18 years old, so he's learning to be a pro. He's not hitting for average, and he started off red hot. I mean, he hit four home runs in the first week, and then he tailed off a little bit. So he's still producing runs. He's got some pop in his bat. Um, I think. You know, back to Nestor Corridor, you know, and kind of sometimes massaging egos for lack of better words. I think sometimes with Micah, he gets a little anxious at the plate. Um, it, 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 you know, Matt, these guys were their best players on their high school teams mm-hmm. or whatever league they were in, and, and then they become a professional, and these pitchers are good. <laughs> you know, they're really good player uh, pitchers. So I think once he learns... It'll be interesting to see. 
If I was a Brewers fan and know about Michael Bell, I would look at his second half stats. And the second half will start after the All-Star break next weekend. Uh, or actually, I, pardon me, it starts Monday, tomorrow. Um, so I would be patient with that. He's not hitting for the average, but I, I think you, you see the talent even when he makes outs because he hits the ball really hard, barrels it up, and I think he's going to be okay. Last uh, top 30 prospect to get to is uh, Carlos Rodriguez. He played a little bit in Arizona, played in seven games there. So far he's played in three games uh, with the Vibes. Uh, uh, just kind of general question, what what do you see from him so far? Well, to be perfectly honest, Matt, they've been on the road. So he got called up uh, this week, and they've been in Grand Junction. And I was in Steamboat Springs at a baseball tournament for my son. So I haven't seen Carlos play. I haven't seen him hit in the cage. I haven't been around him whatsoever. The vibes will begin a series, and I'm not sure when this is going to air, but on uh, tomorrow, so he'll be back home. So I will see him this week. And he's one of the younger guys in the team, again, only 18 years old. So I know the Brewers are really high on him. They called up uh, to Wisconsin a kid by the name of Antonio Pinero, who, wow, you want to talk about a shortstop who has a lot of range. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Orlando Arcia, and I know when I saw Arcia, he was in AAA and Pinero's only in single A, but or pardon me, rookie ball. But I can tell you that I think Pinero's even better than Arcia in the field. He's that good, and he's a double play machine. So that's something to look for too if you're a Brewers fan uh, in the pipeline. A kid by the name of Antonio Pinero who was just called up to the Wisconsin single A team. When I take a look at the from pitching standpoint, a lot of times you'll see the guys with the low ERAs, but they'll have two appearances or four appearances. There's a couple guys who have pretty good numbers, sub four ERAs, who have appeared uh, a fair amount of games. Well, Nash Walters is in there. Uh, Joel, I don't know if it's Joel or Joel, but uh, Pinto is in there as well. This is this is good to see that in Colorado Springs there's some guys who are going and throwing a lot and, and taking the ball a lot and guys are putting up pretty good numbers. And I'll tell you, Matt, one of the more promising things is uh, I'll give you an example: Michele Vassilotti, who has gobbled up a lot of innings for the Bonds. First two starts, he he got roughed up. He had no controls, walking guys looked bad. To be perfectly honest, and then he figured it out, and he's been great the last month for the most part. He's had some really quality starts, some really quality outings. Uh, Nash Walters, he's got some electric stuff. A lot, a lot of promise in that young man and that right arm. Um, he's definitely someone to look for. But, yeah, it, and again, you know, they they eased him into the season, too. You know, the starting pitchers, Carlos Luna is another guy who's been very, uh, very steady, very steady. I mean, he... You know, he handles the highs and lows very well and has has made some quality starts as well for the Vibes. Um, What you saw the first couple of starts is these guys were on a pitch count. You know, two innings, maybe three, and they were done. And then the bullpen, uh, which uh, Mikar Pinto has pitched really well out of the bullpen for the Vibes. Also, uh, Brady Shandywell has pitched well for them. Uh, They've got some... I think the thing that I've seen that I've liked the most is just the way they bounce back after their first two starts or first two appearances. Because the first couple of weeks, their bullpen was really the reason why they weren't winning. You know, this, this, they would do, you know, 
basically, for lack of better words, pitching by committee. A guy would come in, start the game, throw two innings. Another guy would come in, throw two innings. But they'd get in those late innings, and they would unravel. And things got ugly really quickly. In fact, that happened yesterday to the Vibes. They had a big lead, a big lead in Grand Junction, got a quality start from Luna, and things went awry in the late innings. And they ended up blowing, I believe, a seven-run lead, lead to the Grand Junction Rockies. All right, I'll finish you off with this. One of the aspects of short season ball is the fact that there's a lot of guys on the roster. It's not a 25, 24-man roster. How much of a challenge is that to be able to get all these players the playing time that they need? Well, I will say there's two things I've noticed when it comes to that. Is you know, there's I don't want to call anyone, but this young man by the name of Nick Egnatuk, who is an infielder and a solid second baseman, but he has struggled at the plate. But Nestor Corder keeps putting him in the lineup to get his ABs, to get his confidence back up. There's an Australian guy on the team by the name of Jess Williams who didn't come out of the gate swinging the bats very well and in the last couple of weeks has really come on strong. So they've been very patient. And I haven't really talked enough with the, with the hitting coach and Cord, Nestor Corder about, um, you know, how do you give guys playing time? But they, he, they've done a good job of um, – giving guys equal time, you know, behind the plate, this guy named Luisa Avalo, great catcher, really good defensively, has had some timely hits this season, but maybe doesn't have the average that he would like. Uh, he's been splitting time with uh, Nick Kale, who was uh, drafted out of the University of Washington, really good prospect behind the dish, uh, has the good, uh, you know, has all the attributes of a catcher that you want to see in, from a big league catcher, you know, good size, good arm. He's got some pop in his bat. So they've done a really good job of, you know, there's there's some guys, Edwin Sano, he plays left field. He's an infielder right trade. He's a little shaky in the outfield, I have to admit. But uh, he's been the one guy who's basically been in the lineup every day because, A, he's been healthy, and, B, I think uh, somebody in the Brewers organization thinks the kid has, you know, the stuff to be you know, a, a valuable asset down the road. So they've done a really good job of uh, – making sure guys get their ABs, making sure the pitchers, you know, if they haven't pitched in three days, they're coming in. They're going to be used in the sixth and seventh inning, even if they're a starter by trade. So they've done a good job of really uh, keeping that balance and keeping everybody uh, involved. He is Rob Namnoon. Follow him on Twitter at Rob Namnoon. That's uh, R-O-B, then N-A-M-N-O-U-M. Uh, listen to the There'll bro- be a spelling test later, there, Matt. There will be. We'll see how many people can pass it. Uh, you didn't ask me about Toasty. I, I should have. Yeah, okay, I'll ask you. I wanted, is Sox the Fox still around? I'm, I'm very he confused. Is. Okay, how is that all working out? Oh, great. They get along famously, Sox the Fox and Toasty. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be, you know what? If Christian Yelich made a rehab start in Colorado Springs, I'm not sure Toasty still still wouldn't be more popular than Christian Yelich. The guy is a star in Colorado Springs. I mean, he can't walk through the stands without having 50 pitchers taken with somebody. There's uh, People in Milwaukee love that logo. Yeah, it's popular. I mean, from a merchandising standpoint, they're doing quite well with the Toasty logo. They're doing really well. And like I said, Chris Phillips, the general manager of the Rocky Mountain Vibes, has, has done some really good things at the ballpark, and it's really good—a really good bang for your buck, so to speak, from a, a family value standpoint. 
Well, Rob, we encourage people to listen to the broadcast, vibesbaseball.com, of course, on the uh, TuneIn radio app as well. This was fun. Hopefully we can do this a time or two as well before uh, the season comes to an end. Yeah, anytime, man. It was great talking to you, Matt. Rob Namnoon in his first year as the voice of the Rocky Mountain Vibes, and we appreciate him taking a little bit of time with us. Let's take a look at what's coming up this week for the Brewers. Most notably, July 31st, that is going to be the trade deadline. That's the thing most people are keeping an eye out on. Uh, Monday is going to be an off day. They'll begin a three-game series in Oakland on Tuesday. So that will go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday is August 1st. That's also a late afternoon day game. They're on the West Coast as that game will get started at 2.37 in the afternoon. Uh, Then they head to Chicago for a three-game series. Uh, All three games are set to begin at 1.20 Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and that's going to be another big series. do want to say thank you to my guests, both Tim Muma and Rob Namnoon. Look forward to talking to you again real soon with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.